Public Pursuit Waterfowl Podcast would like to present to you a salute to our heroes. Dan Bullock, born December 21, 1953, near Goldsboro, North Carolina, enlisted in the United States Marine Corps at age 14. Pentagon officials later said his birth certificate had been adjusted to show the year as 1949 so he could pass for 18 years of age. On the night of June 6, 1969, Private First Class Bullock and his platoon were keeping watch over an airstrip. When the explosive satchel charge was thrown into the bunker, Private First Class Bullock was keeping watch and killing him instantly. Private First Class Bullock had been in the country less than a month. Private First Class Dan Bullock of the United States Marine Corps was the youngest American to pay the ultimate sacrifice in the Vietnam conflict. Private First Class Bullock, because of your sacrifice and others like you, this country is and will remain the greatest nation on earth. Thank you for your service. Welcome to the Public Pursuit Waterfowl Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Townsend. With me today, all the way from the West Coast, Mr. Breck Dickinson. Breck, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. All right. Weather's starting to cool off. We're only down to 100 now. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It was a little warm for us today. uh, It was about 85, but we've... Ever since about the first of September, it, it's kind of cooled off, which is rare. But uh, it, we haven't had any of those really, really hot ninety-plus days since about September. So we've been blessed. But man, still into the hundreds—that's rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The forecast uh, for this next week is uh, supposed to be in the upper nineties. So that's that's always a relief when we when we're out of the triple digits. So. <laughs> Good deal. Well, guys, uh, I met Mr. Breck uh, straight off of the Public Pursuit uh, Waterfowl Facebook page. Uh, I guess he got invited by a member one way or the other. And I think you had put up some pictures of maybe Alaska or something like that. And uh, I got to messaging you and then ended up calling you and found out uh you you were up in alaska last year at the same time as a buddy of mine and man the more we talked the more interesting uh your story got as far as not just traveling the country but uh you decided to just take off and fly halfway around the world chasing animals and uh i've really really enjoyed talking to you so far and uh you are a taxidermist by trade correct yes i am yeah, How long have you been doing uh, that? Uh, since I was 12. Um, 
Yeah, I uh, it, the same year that I started hunting at twelve, and uh, um, I, I, I suppose it's just in my DNA because nobody in my family hunted. Um, didn't know any know anybody that hunted, and um, but we had guns because uh, I'm the youngest of six boys, and so my older brothers had guns, and they liked to shoot, but they weren't into hunting, and and so I just uh, I just picked it up on my own, and um, you know. Surprisingly, my parents would just let me go off out into the woods with a loaded gun with no, <laughs> no training or nothing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, that's, I mean, that's basically, which I grew up as my dad was a hunter, but kind of the same way. They just kind of give us a gun and there you go. So it's, it's kind of odd though. Uh, the fact that nobody normally there's a neighbor, a family member, an uncle, a granddaddy or something, you were just kind of drawn to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I was just drawn to it. And especially since we grew up in, uh, in San Diego area and, and you know, and all my older brothers were, uh, you know, surfers and that. And, and, uh, so when I was eight years old, we moved up to Northern California up to the, foothills of the Sierra Nevada is a, what they call the gold country and uh, um, I just I just took to the woods and um, yeah I just loved it and that was that was my playground I had you know, all those woods behind my house so. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean that's awesome so uh, you know what did you start hunting first uh, ducks um, uh, first bird I ever shot was a hen woody and uh, so uh, up northern California, we had a lot of wood ducks, and uh, you know, so much so it got to the point where I, I stopped shooting them, you know, uh, just because they were they were just so common, and you know, and they were so pretty. I, you know, I figured if I, you know, unless I to totally damaged it, uh, I'd always want to mount it, and, and it was like, okay, I got too many of them, so I, I just stopped shooting them. <laughs> when did uh, so. Did you, you went through high school and everything and were mountain ducks the whole time? Yeah, I was, uh, like I said, I started when I was 12. I, you know, cashed in some aluminum cans and had some jingle <laughs> in my pocket. And ha had to go spend it, you know, didn't know it on what, but had to go spend it. So I went to a sporting goods store and I saw a book on how to do taxidermy. And I said, oh, cool. So that's how they do it. And, and uh, that's how I started was just, you know, out of a book and, um, you know, so I, I knew that was, you know, started as a hobby, but I knew that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so, you know, that was, uh, yeah. What was all the, I've uh, done. <laughs> what was the first bird you mounted? Um, first bird, I, it was a mallard. I started wow. off just doing heads. <laughs> you know, duck heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, the, yeah, the first life size was a, a drake mallard. Do you still have it? Oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got some birds that are like about, you know, that predate uh, me being married, which is thirty two years. So I've got some in the thirty year range, but uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, they, you know, either my older brothers destroyed them, you know, or <laughs> or I destroyed them. <laughs> I'm on uh, quite a few taxidermy pages and, uh, I don't, I don't do it, but I am fat. I like to look at it. And, uh, every now and then you'll see guys post pictures from, you know, maybe not their very first bird, but close to it. And 
where they're at today. And, and sometimes it, it's not even that long of a period of time. People get a lot better. It seems like every animal, not just birds, but every animal they do. And it's, it's kind of fun to go back and look at those starting points of where you started and, you know, just a tip here or there and how, how much it can exponentialize your success and, and really bringing a bird back to life or deer, whatever it is you're into. It's really fun to, to watch and look at for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, something, a passion of mine, something I've always loved doing. And, um, you know, and then also collecting the, the different species and stuff. So, you know, uh, you know, the adventure plus, you know, the taxidermy portion of it, you know, um, I was, uh, so I was always drawn to traveling too. uh, you know, my, uh, my older brothers were vagabonds too, but they were the, they were the surf bombs, you know, traveling around with the surfboard, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, I had that travel bug in me too. And so, uh, but it was always, always hunting was in the, you know, part of the scheme or at least wanting to. I uh, had my as a, as a kid. I had my uh, my room uh, plastered with uh, maps. <laughs> no, no, no sports hero posters or nothing like right. that. It was all it was all uh, all maps of the world. So wow. <laughs> what was uh, when you were young? When you said you guys moved up to the Sierra, uh, what was the duck hunting like up there for you back then? Streams, small pond. What kind of terrain was that? Uh, close to home, there was a uh, uh, a reservoir that had a uh, uh, an island where where the uh, river came into it. There was and uh, there was actually a gravel uh, plant there, and they created this island to catch all the sediment. And uh, and so that island had all these little channels and pockets and stuff. And it would get all get overgrown uh, with all these uh, willows and things like that. And so, uh, when the reservoir would reach its high water mark, uh, it'd be all, you know, flooded in there. And so it was basically flooded timber. And so it was just thick with wood ducks and mallards. Um, uh, yeah, and then you'd get you know other species too. You know, the widgeon and you know gadwalls and stuff like that and uh, honkers. You know, so. Uh, but then when I'd go down the mountain, because I was up at about uh, 2,000 foot elevation, go down the mountain to the uh, Sacramento Valley, and you had all the uh, the refuges there, you know, Sacramento and Delavan and Gray Lodge and you know, Sutter, Clusa, and that. So and that's uh, that's a phenomenal place. Um, just the, the just the sheer number of birds that migrate through there. It's uh, it's an amazing sight. Yep. Uh, I was just talking today in a in a group chat, and uh, somebody mentioned the Pacific Flyway, and uh, they were actually, in a way, comparing the Pacific to the Atlantic Flyway. And I was like, man, you cannot, you can't in any way compare the volume of birds that the Pacific Flyway gets, and for the most part, the pressure that the Pacific Flyway gets is nothing like the east coast and it just from new york to florida they are just those birds are hammered and there's not a lot of them and uh i don't know a lot about earlier in your life but <clears throat> as far as the birds go but does it seem like 
has the hunting increased or decreased in the Pacific Flyway in your 30 years of hunting it? Uh, it's been pretty steady. You know, people talk about, you know, we're, you know, losing the youth and things like that. And, uh, uh, cause I think now with the, you know, the internet and, you know, Facebook and stuff, it's probably increasing. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, there's definitely, definitely a resurgence in interest, I think. And, um, uh, the, the thing with, uh, like the, uh, Sacramento Valley in, you know, central valleys and stuff like that is, you know, uh, outside of the refuges it's all private land so um they're all clubs you know and and uh you know a lot of it's rice fields so you you know you get all those prime flooded rice fields and that and you know you've got to have some deep pockets to hunt those places <laughs> yeah so it's way out of most people's you know right. league and so we're uh we're pretty much uh you know the average guy's pretty much confined to uh refuges or 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 other uh, state wildlife areas and stuff and, um but we've, we've got enough of them to uh you know everybody can get on in that so uh what especially in my state of south carolina uh the wildlife management areas and the national wildlife uh refuges here in south carolina are a just a topic of huge debate in the management and the habitat that's just declined for so long uh just in your opinion what how would you rate uh you know the just the areas that you hunt as far as habitat and management for for waterfowl um i mean we, we've got some pretty good management out here as far as uh that goes and uh um i mean the, the bird numbers are, are always good and uh you know, having always hunted out west, uh, except for, you know, I, I did a trip to Florida to, you know, knock off some species over there, but I, I haven't really hunted east. I haven't been there other than Florida. Um, and uh, so I don't have a whole lot to compare it to. Um, and, uh, but uh, I guide for uh, cinnamon teal. So I get guys from back east that come out and when they hunt with me, um, they're always surprised that. Uh, like where are all the hunters you know and and to me there's to me there's plenty you know right in their eyes in their eyes it was like oh wow man you mean anybody can hunt this yeah <laughs> and it was like wow if this was back home that man there would be you know a thousand people out here you know right <laughs> and that, i i get that a lot from people who come back oh here. yeah you know i'll say this uh since you've been in Florida, uh, and I've, I haven't hunted Florida. I know some guys that have been to Florida on several trips. And, uh, for the most part, Florida gets a ton more birds than we do. They, it seems like the, the ringnecks and the teal and some of the redheads, birds like that just skip right over our state and go to Florida. And, uh, like I said, our, our wildlife management areas and refuges are a topic of hot debate because of that, because there are more birds in the flyway than we're getting, but they're, it just seems like they're flying right over us. And I mean, it's, that's a, it's a, it's not a one facet problem. It's a multifaceted problem. And I, it, it doesn't sound like anybody's got a, a sure answer on how to deal with it yet. But uh, I've heard, you know, the same thing, 
uh, everybody I know that's gone and hunted for California, uh, and I've talked to people that have basically hunted all four flyways in multiple states, and they say California is probably one or two at the most at the top of the list. And, and you know, especially south and southeast, when you hear California, if you don't know better, you wouldn't think, man, that place is full of ducks. But it's definitely at the top of people's list and as far as bird number and habitat goes. So it's very blessed to have grown up in a, an area such as that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other thing, too, being a taxidermist, the, uh, uh, didn't realize how blessed we were as far as the plumage of the birds go, too, until, you know, like I said, I guys from back east will come out and hunt with me, and, and they're just, you know, surprised of how prime the plumage is uh compared to the same species that at home and i don't know i think it's maybe because the pacific uh, has milder weather that i think they probably get a jump on the uh, breeding season and so they just come you know they come in the plumage uh breeding plumage a lot sooner uh i know in in january uh i'll see a lot of uh you know uh courtship going on in january so you know they're already they're ready for it. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Well, uh, let's do this. Uh, I guess in a way we're fast forwarding, but in a we're kind of starting because like you told me, you didn't really start traveling and duck hunting until after your kids were grown and out of the house. Is that right? Yeah. I, I always just duck hunted within state. Um, and, uh, I did a lot of out-of-state hunts, but it was for big game. Um, and, uh, you know, having having a couple of kids, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, I was pretty much limited to traveling, uh, you know, by car, you know. And, and so uh, we did a lot of uh, hunts throughout the West, uh, but it was primarily for big game. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't until uh, 2010, that uh my kids left the nest and uh uh i kind of got depressed because they were my hunting buddies uh we homeschooled our kids and so we never had to you know wait for vacation days or holidays and stuff so we were always we were always hitting the road um and uh and all suddenly all of a sudden my hunting buddies are gone you know and they left home within two weeks of each other. Daughter went off to college, and two weeks later, my son went in the army. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and so I was, I was kind of, I was just kind of depressed for a bit, and uh, uh, and I just kind of lost interest in hunting for a while, for a few months, and then it was like, okay, I gotta snap out of this. And so I, um, I had got a call from one of my uh, brothers that said, "Hey, did you ever do that New Zealand trip? Because I had been planning it since like uh, 2007." And uh, and that was that was kind of uh, uh, by accident, really, too, because uh, in uh, 2006 I drew a tule elk tag in California, which is really rare to get. I mean, it's like drawing a sheep tag. And uh, what's typical with tule elks is uh, having non-typical points. That's that's typical for them, and they'll have like crown points like like the uh, red deer do. And uh, 
my daughter was going through uh, one of my hunt magazines and she sees this picture of this monster red stag and she, oh dad look at the size of this tulio that's no that's not a tulio that's a red stag so where do, where do they hunt those well they're they're from europe but they've been introduced around the world most people hunt them in new zealand she says uh, why didn't you go there and get one i says ah you know it costs a lot of money you know and you got a higher guide i just assumed that and uh, she said, well, don't they have public land where you can hunt them? And I don't know. And so I just started surfing the internet. And the more I dug into it, it was like, no, no, this is too easy. This can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and then finally, you know, when I was able to confirm it, it was like, okay, man, this is just way too, this is way too simple. I got to do this, you know. And so me and a friend had, had planned it for 2007. And uh, he drew some other tag that interfered with it, and, and uh, so we postponed it, and it just kind of we forgot about it. Well, fast forward to 2010, um, I get a phone call from my brother saying, "Hey, do you ever do that trip?" I said, "No, nah, never did." And he says, "Well, this man, we're not getting any younger. You better do that." <laughs> <laughs> said, yeah, you're right. So I so 2011, I, I went to New Zealand. And uh, I just thought I'd, you know, like one and done. And, and uh, but it got in my blood. So I've been there five times. Um, so it's it's an amazing place. And if right now, because of the COVID, you know, you, you can't go there. But uh, I recommend it to anybody once they open it back up. Um, so once I, once I got back from New Zealand, um, you know, here I had these exotic waterfowl and one of them being a black swan and and, uh, and I thought well you know what? this ain't right I went around the world and came back with a black swan and I even killed one of our own swans next door you know <laughs> <laughs> so so I looked into uh, Nevada and you know it, it being close as it is and, and put in for that hunt and threw the tag and went up there and got got me one and, and that was the same year 2011 and that just kind of got the ball rolling. Um, and then, uh, then also I um, had a, a, a guy uh, in my neighborhood that picked up duck hunting and he was, he was completely new to it. And, and uh, I, I kind of, he kept coming by my shop, you know, kind of hit me all kinds of questions and stuff. And, I don't want to give out too much information. <laughs> you know, I don't want to give up honey holes and things like that. And after a while, I felt sorry for the guy. He's like, oh, poor guy, you know. So I, said, I tell you what, I'll take you out. You know, really, really. And so we, we hit it off. And, and uh, so uh, then pretty soon, I mean, he was just like on fire for it. And he's wanting to collect all the species and stuff. And, and uh, you know, and this is before that whole 41 list came out and, and things like that. And, and I said, really, you'd, you'd be game for doing that. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, said, well, let's do it. I've been wanting to do that since I was a teenager. <laughs> so uh, 2014, we did our first trip up to Alaska, went to ADAC. And uh, and and then we, we went back there again in the uh, same year. We went in January, and then we went back again in September for Caribou. And um, I'd just been going to Alaska every year, you know. You got a, anybody planning on doing it, get yourself that uh, Alaska Airlines visa card. 
signature card. I mean, best way to go. You'll you, all my trips up to Alaska. I go for free. You know, um, round trip ticket cost me eleven dollars and twenty cents. That's wow. uh, nine eleven bucks. <laughs> so let's so uh, going, to, going to Cold Bay in December. Um, when when you went to New Zealand the first time, or the first time you went was for Red Stag, or did you no. waterfowl hunt? Or I did a uh, um, I went after tar and uh, waterfowl. Um, and uh, first time I, I didn't get a tar, my buddy did. Um, and then uh. But honestly, I was, you know, seeing all the paradise shell ducks around, those things were everywhere and all the, everybody's pastures and stuff. And it was like, I was just wanting to get to them. And so, uh, we, we got the tar out of the way first. And then we spent the next week hunting waterfowl. Um, and so, uh, basically every trip that I've gone there, I've gone, I've done a combination of, uh, tar and waterfowl. Uh, their waterfowl season opens, uh, uh, you know, first Saturday in May, uh, so that's coming into their winter, and then also the the tar and chamois up in the Alps, uh, they're they're in their breeding, uh, you know, they're rutting, so uh, they got their winter coats on and everything, and, and so it's just a, a good combination. Uh, I haven't done the the uh, the red deer yet. Um, uh, I plan to do that. On, on all of my trips, if I happen to see one, you can shoot it. There's no tags. You know, you see, you see a big game animal, you can shoot it. Um, there's no close season, no limit, um, either sex. And like I said, you don't need a tag or nothing. So, um, you know, and, and all, all the hunts I do over there are on public land. So, um, you know, if I, if I you know, had seen one, I could have shot one. But, uh, you know, just... Uh, up in the Alps, uh, up above the tree line, you don't see any red deer up there. <laughs> I'll I'll be really honest. Uh, until you said it, I was kind of the same way you were. Uh, I didn't think about New Zealand them having public land. You know, you could just go hunt. And uh, that's <laughs> as soon as you said it, I kind of had this. I was like, oh yeah, that's that makes sense. But. Uh, when you guys were hunting ducks up there, what was the, what kind of terrain would you guys be hunting in, in there? Well, for the uh, herdice shell ducks, is uh, uh, pretty much just uh, pasture land. These paddocks, they call them, um, and uh, it, they're everywhere. And it's so easy to get permission from landowners. I mean, you know, you just knock on the door and and yeah, sure, you know, very helpful, very friendly people, very helpful. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're glad to see somebody shooting the birds, you know, uh, and, uh, and then you've got, like, if you were after, uh, say the, uh, the shoveler, um, you know, pretty much you got to go to, uh, some of more of the, uh, estuaries, you know, some of the brackish lagoons and those type of places. Um, and then, uh, like the, uh, gray ducks, um, uh, if you, if you want to get one, a pure one uh, because they've been hybridized. Mallards weren't introduced there, and so you know how that goes. Um, so you want to get away from the farmland if you want to get into some pure uh, 
gray ducks. Uh, so like on the west coast of the South Island, there's a place on the North Island, I haven't hunted yet, but uh, uh, there's fewer people on the South Island. Uh, so you get into those very rural areas and get away from the farmland even where you're hunting just these uh, uh, creeks and streams or, you know, um, then you can get into some of these uh, gray ducks that don't have mallard in them. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, kind of, well, not kind of, it is jungle where you're, you know, some of these places where you're hunting the gray ducks. Would you be, uh, is there like decoy hunting there or pass shooting? What's the preferred methods of, of hunting birds out there? Uh, the uh, swans I got is pass shooting uh, along, uh, you know, some uh, coastal uh, estuaries. Um, but the, uh, uh, like the, the shell ducks, uh, that's decoying. And uh, I hooked up with the local there that, uh, you know, set me up with the uh, layout blinds and, and the uh and they're really easy to decoy them shell ducks um and just silhouettes and they just uh I, they just dive bomb man they, they see decoys and they just come in on a line <laughs> so you know and they're and they're, they're uh underappreciated down there the, the shell ducks people kind of like eh, you know but uh i mean you know for us they're, they're beautiful and you know, right you know they can shoot 20 a day over there so of the, of the shell ducks and the, the the limits over there are, are just unreal because uh you know it's not like for us where you know you've got a six bird or, or out pacific we got seven bird limit you know and it's seven no matter how you slice it that's you know it stops at you know seven or right. six um not over there it's species specific so you can shoot 20 shell ducks uh, in a day and no limit on honkers uh you know uh, depending on the area you can get you know 25 to 50 mallards a day um you know and then uh you know then again depending on there you can get anywhere from you know uh, uh you know two to five uh, swans and it just it's like that it just species specific so you could i mean if you shot limits you'd, you'd have a truckload you know <laughs> <laughs> well the I, I that's it's hard to imagine uh you know without seeing that but that that's pretty amazing uh high volume shooting to say the least <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. When you're when you're shooting the geese and the uh, the paradise shell ducks, uh, it it can, you know, you know it's hunting. You can have slow days and that, but but when it's hot, I mean, there's there's a lot of shooting. So uh, this is a question that I, I I just have no, I don't know where to begin with uh, the southern hemisphere. But are those birds residential or are they mi migratory? Are they moving? to and from other places or are they just resident no they're yeah they're they're resident birds uh, pretty much um uh now you know the uh the black swans were came over from australia so they you know right they they got a foothold there uh, that way um and uh you know occasionally some vagrant bird will come in like you know from australia or but uh for the most part uh they're they're pretty isolated so um they, they don't get they don't get many uh birds wandering through there right and for i 
it seems like for the the size of the country it really is in comparison there's a ton of birds there for sure ton of wildlife in general yeah i mean there's more you know sheep over there you know domestic sheep than there are right. people yeah i mean the, <laughs> the human population is like four million and there's 11 million sheep um <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and that, and the uh, the 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 deer over there are pretty much uh, by the government treated as like rats. You know, they're vermin. They, I mean, they literally poison them. They uh, fly around helicopters and drop uh, this ten eighty these little poison pellets, deer pellets, for them to eat. And um, you know, cause in a thick canopy, they can't shoot them from helicopters, so they will drop poison on them and places where they can shoot them, you know, more open terrain, they'll, they'll do that. And so, and they've been, been past couple of years, they've been on the war path, uh, shooting all the tar up. So, uh, people aren't happy about that, you know, over there. So, uh, anyone wanting to get in on it, they better do it while they can. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a, they have a new minister of conservation over there and she's, uh, she's determined to exterminate all non-native species. So that's where her head's at. And so I, I kind of understand that. And then, uh, it's, you know, we just like, I guess in California, but we have species that I non-native species, uh, just like the catfish, uh, Flathead catfish aren't native to South Carolina, but I love to catch them, and they they do do a lot of damage to our some of our native sunfishes. But uh, I guess I kind of see both sides of that. But you know, I guess in the end, you it's kind of like the same thing with South Carolina. You things change over in power, and the views of the last person that that's over something may be completely different. You kind of have to roll with it and and deal with it but I, i'm more worried i got i'm worried about ducks in south carolina i can't worry about tar in new england or new zealand right now for sure yeah <laughs> but it you know i've heard i want to say i don't know uh i don't remember what movie it was maybe or maybe it was a a video all their own of uh phil robertson and the duck men went to new zealand um, I don't remember if it was on a video or if it was a separate video, but I, I, I remember bits and pieces of them going to New Zealand and shooting ducks and, uh, it, the country itself just looks absolutely beautiful. I mean, especially if you're a traveler like you and I, you know, some of the places that I picked to hunt are not only because of the ducks, but so, somewhat because of the view. And uh, oh, yeah. the, some of the, the videos that I've seen of New Zealand are absolutely stunning. I mean, just absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, and it's it's pretty much like that all over the place there. I mean, it's like everywhere you turn, it's like a postcard. It's just it's just amazingly beautiful over there. Uh, odd question, but just just what I'm kind of a picky eater anyway, and uh, so. You know, some places we go to doesn't have fast food and things like that, so you got to kind of pick and choose. But uh, how about the food over there? Is the New Zealand cuisine? Oh, it's uh, 
healthy portions, that's for sure. <laughs> they serve you a lot. And, um, you know, um, one thing that was hard for me to get used to is the little tiny cups. <laughs> you know, we, we all have big cups out here and then they got oh, little yeah. tiny cups up there and no refills. <laughs> so they'll serve you a big plate, but the, the, the drinks are, uh, uh, yeah, you, you don't get refills in that unless you pay for them. Um, you know, cu cup of coffee. Uh, of course, the, the 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 dollar to the New Zealand dollar is different. You know, so but uh, you know, it's like you know four to five dollars for a cup of coffee, and and they're just a little eight ounce cup. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's five dollars. You know, four to five dollars New Zealand, and but you know, it's it's less in, in American. But uh, uh, you know, so there's there's some stuff that uh, is like ouch, you know. But but then there's other things that are great, you know. Um, um, but w one thing is is uh, the uh, well, I was doing the uh, tar hunt there. I've done uh, three helicopter uh, drop camps where you can you can pay to get flown up into the Alps. They drop you off and pick you up a week later. Um, and gosh, you know, I mean, round trip it costs you. It's three hundred and fifty New Zealand dollars a person. You know, so converted to American, it's like uh, about two hundred eighty bucks or two hundred sixty, depending. You know, uh, compare that to like Alaska, you know, some bush playing there. <laughs> You're talking a couple of grand, you know. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> wow. Uh, that That is super, super remote when you get flown up and just dropped off and I'll see you a week later. That's yeah. A, that's a heck of an experience for sure. Well, and thank God for Mountain Radio over there. <laughs> They, uh, a lot of the sporting goods stores over there, they rent out uh, mountain radios. Um, and, uh, you know, we actually had to use it uh, one time to, uh, like, come and get us. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One trip we, uh, we got stormed out. It was, it was bad. Uh, we probably shouldn't have went in the first place. We should have waited till after the storm passed, but we thought, ah, oh, well, we'll be all right. <laughs> uh, it was, it was bad. It was like it was like pitching your tent in a high pressure car wash and having it run for 40, 40 hours nonstop, you know. And then it snows when it's done, you know. Oh yeah, we my were, goodness! Yeah, we were all soaked. Yeah. So. I don't want to. I don't want to have to lay down wet or cold for an extended period of time for sure. That's some, that's well, tough camping. Well, there's, you know, there's four of us in this tent, and I, I wake up in the night. I I felt wet you know and it was like what the heck and i shined my light and the whole floor of the t of the tent was like a swimming pool it was like two inches deep of, of water inside the tent. Oh, oh. oh no <laughs> yeah so yeah sleeping bags out wet and you know and yeah uh, I, I hated to do it but i had to it, it would kept you know like shoveling you know bucketing the water out with cups you know and that but it was just coming in fast as we could you know scoop it out so I had to, in, in, I found uh, several low spots in the tent and took my knife and just stabbed holes in the floor of my tent <laughs> to drain it. So, so $600 tent, that was, that was hard to do, you know, oh, <laughs> deliberately, deliberately yeah. punch holes in it. <laughs> Man, that is, that is rough for sure. Did, uh, so 
you got flown out was the hunt over did you get to go back up or or what no we didn't go back up uh we we just uh went and, and hunted other things and you know concentrated more on the waterfowl uh it was it was a, a trip where um uh it just seemed to uh just severe weather we were, we were there actually almost a month uh like three and a half weeks uh, a, a friend and uh went with me his wife and my wife and and uh it just um we found ourselves kind of like chasing the sun you know it's like oh it's sunny on the other side and so we'd drive over to the other side of the island and you know and, and then you know and it seemed like the the rain just kind of followed our snow the, uh, there was um a lot of a lot of heavy snowfall there was uh the christchurch airport had shut down from snow which is like unheard of you know it just uh and you know a lot of the mountain passes were closed and um so it was just uh it was just one of those uh, weather conditions where we we timed it just right if you like snow <laughs> <laughs> i like a little bit of snow uh i'm i'm not a a huge fan i don't want to i don't want to be two feet deep or a foot a foot deep in snow to say the least i like yeah. to look at it and if it's gone the next day that's fine with me we don't we may see snow once or twice a year in south carolina that's enough for me most most of the time that's uh other than that trip uh every every other trip seemed to be pretty fair pretty successful yeah yeah uh you know generally good weather you know you get a mixture but uh for the most part good weather and um uh, so i've uh that you know, time of year what's the temperatures like uh not snow wise but normally you know what kind of temperatures are you looking at uh you know i never really you know everything's in celsius down there and so <laughs> i i can't read celsius i've never been able ne to it. no me either <laughs> so kind of does me no good when i you know the the car we rented or whatever has the temperature reading <laughs> on them. yeah, yeah. So it's all Greek to me, you know. <laughs> me and my brother-in-law were riding the other day. We were talking about the weather in Canada and just kind of checking some areas, seeing how cold it was getting up there already. And uh, tried to look, and everything was in Celsius. So we had to break out. One of us is on the phone reading, you know, reading Celsius, and the other one's having to convert it off of Google to figure out what what the temperatures are. <laughs> oh on these charts but yeah i'm i'm no good there for sure so well I, I know i've had to bundle up a, a few places uh hunting the uh shell ducks but i was up in you know at the base of the mountains uh near a pass and uh uh you know in the wind you know the wind is what gets you you know and, that's right uh, so it, it can get cold and but uh at this last trip we did uh um uh, it wasn't bad. It's some pretty good weather. Do they? Uh, I would assume not. But uh, any kind of banding programs or anything like that on ducks over in New Zealand, I I wouldn't think so. Would you know being non-migratory? But yeah, it's it's pretty limited. But I, I have seen on some of the New Zealand hunting forums, you know, some guys have posted some bands. And, but I, I think it's fairly new. 
You okay. know, I don't think that something's been going on for very long. So, uh, other than the the black swan and then the the shell ducks, uh, what were your other main species or draws to uh, New Zealand? Uh, as far as waterfowl, yeah. Um, well, the you know the shell ducks are you know they're so abundant and beautiful and and, and you know it's probably the females actually prettier than the drake I think you know they have the white head, um, you know and then uh, and then the gray ducks um, I really didn't care about shooting the mallards um, and then uh, uh, also uh, well the 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 shoveler over there it looks like a, a mix of between a blue wing and a and, and a shoveler. That's right. Um, those those you can only get two a day, um, and then they have some birds over there that are protected. Uh, they have a, a a couple of teal over there. Uh, it's a, a brown and a, a brown teal, and they um, I think I think it's called a gray teal. But but one of one of them's endangered, and the other is abundant. But you really can't tell the difference until you have it in your hands. So you just can't shoot teal. Um, <laughs> but even though there's a lot of them. Um, then they have the uh, a scop, which is really pretty. I've seen quite a few of those, and uh, I suppose because they don't get shot, they're not afraid of you, and they'll swim right up to you, and they're, they're really beautiful. Um, and then there's a uh, this uh, blue duck. Uh, I've yet to see one. Uh, they live in streams. Um, you know, they, they like the uh, you know fast currents and that. Uh, one of these days, I'll I'll see one. I hope. Um, Oh, the pukekos. Pukekos, they, they're, they're kind of like a coot, but, you know, as far as a game bird goes, they act more like a pheasant. They're not any, they don't act like a coot at all. Um, they're, they're a purple bird with a big red beak and red, red uh, crown on them, and red eyes and um, long pink legs. And they don't have any webbing on their toes. Um, and in fact, you really don't find them in the water. Uh, you'll find them basically like you would a pheasant you'll you'll see them in the out in the pastures and, and they see you and they'll they'll flip their tail up and the underside of their tail is white so mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of like a white-tailed deer flagging you know that's a little warning sign that you know they'll, they'll flag their tail and they'll and then they'll start moving out of the open pasture into uh, the brush line you know and then you go into the brush line and kick them out just like you would pheasants uh, they're pretty sporty you know <laughs> Um, yeah, th those, those are, I like shooting echoes. Um, but, uh, they don't have a lot of species like we do. <laughs> Definitely not, but, uh, you know, it's different. They have a lot of, of, of what they have though. Yeah. 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 Uh, local wise, uh, is the general population, is there a lot of hunters or not, not so many hunters or? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a cultural thing there. It's very popular. Um, they just don't have the, the population that we do. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty spread out, you know, in fact, especially you get in remote areas like on the West coast. Um, you know, I mean, you can drive a long ways when you get away from the towns where uh, you don't even pass another vehicle and you'll be driving by all kinds of, uh, you know, prime waterfowl habitat. And, and it's like, man, ain't nobody out here. 
What would you, if you had to, you know, compare it, or is there a, a comparison to a, a state that you maybe have hunted uh, people-wise, hunting-wise, you know, how sparse is it, Alaska or, you know, something yeah, like that? Yeah, pretty much like Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, because, I mean, you know, you, you get out there in, uh, you know, remote regions of Alaska, I mean, you know, uh, you know, probably not going to see very many hunters, you know. Um, you know, the, the only, you know, hunters I've really seen in Alaska when I'm out uh, duck hunting is, you know, either guides or uh, um, or, or caribou hunters. <laughs> you know, out on an ADAC, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, uh, Alaskans from the uh, Anchorage area will go down there because it's a, uh, a cheap way to fill their freezer you know they'll, they'll go out there on miles and and uh you know they don't have to buy as residents they don't have to buy caribou tags so they just get these harvest tickets and right you know you know they'll, they'll go out there uh late season when the uh, snow drives them down into town and they'll basically just drive drive around uh the road system there and uh you know start stockpiling the meat <laughs> <laughs> Do you have uh you have plans in the recent or in the excuse me in the near future to go back to New Zealand? Yeah, uh, um, you know, like they're they're like the strictest country in the world right now with that COVID. Um, really? So, oh yeah, I mean they, you know, their plan is two years. Wow. Before before allowing tourists in, so. Um, you know, <laughs> They pretty much said that right from the start, you know. Um, so they're they're really strict. Um, so I I don't see that happening for at least a couple of years. Um, but when I do go back, I, I do want to. I think I want to try the uh, the red deer and probably go it, it, during the uh, what they call the roar, uh, which would be in uh, like. <clears throat> Uh, late March, early April, which would be the equivalent of our, um, you know, uh, September, you know, up in the, uh, you know, Rockies, you know, for elk. So that, that would be their early fall. i tell you what, uh, we're getting right here in an hour. We'll, we'll uh, slow it down. I do want to mention, uh, you've got a YouTube channel, correct? Yes. It's, if, if, uh, yep. Give that out to everybody if you don't mind. It's uh, Breck Taxi. Uh, just one word, uh, B-R-E-C-K, Taxi. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, for your taxidermy business, is there a website or a, a Facebook page or your personal uh, both, Facebook? Yeah, I've, I've got a website, uh, you know, Breck Dickinson Taxidermy, and then uh, also the, the same for uh, uh, Facebook. Uh, I, I and I really don't touch my website much. It's got like uh, I haven't put pictures on there in a long time, just because it's it's so complicated. Right. <laughs> it's so much That's easier right. on Facebook. Absolutely. So. Yeah, guys, if you want to check out any of uh, Brick's work, or I'll you sent me a couple of your videos. I'll you know go through uh, up up in Alaska, and then I saw uh, kind of connected right off the bat uh, shooting the old Brown and A five. And uh, I seen that. I was like, "Oh man, this is my kind of guy." And you know, we talked about that before. Uh, just 
my love and your love for, you know, those old Brownings. And uh, they don't quit, you know. My buddy's got one that was, I, I think, made in either the late 20s or 30s, and it still shoots. You know, great guns. Uh, yeah, next time, go ahead, Brett. Oh, I was just going to say, people look at my gun and they think it's from the 20s, but <laughs> it's, it's actually a 70s model. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been hard on it. <laughs> well, I, you know, especially hunting the salt in places like that up in Alaska, it doesn't, it doesn't do it any favors, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's it's never been a uh, a safe queen, you know. <laughs> it's 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 been a workhorse the whole time, so. Is it a Magnum? Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. In fact, well, uh, I... Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, you know, I've, I've been using it for 40 years, and uh, um, it's uh, it finally got a, uh, a strip clean. I was always afraid to take it apart because I looked at it as like, oh, my God, this is so complicated. <laughs> it's like, it's, you yeah. know, like a grandfather clock or something, you know? Yep. And, and so I never wanted to do it. So I always just like, you know, uh, with those high pressure cans, you know, I just blast the gunk out and that. Um, so it never got cleaned until at the end of this season, uh, uh, you know, I took it to a gunsmith and he stripped it down and cleaned it for me. So, um, so that's testament to, uh, to the Browning. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm the exact same way. Uh, other than, you know, pulling the barrel off and, uh, the recoil spring, and kind of lubing it down, I don't, I don't dare touch anything other than in the receiver that that gun, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. If it, if it required me to take a screwdriver out, I'm I'm not touching it. <laughs> no. Uh. Uh-uh. Well, Breck, I really appreciate it. Next time we're gonna get into Breck uh, getting up into Alaska, and uh, he and I talked about this. It's really cool, uh, and as he said, uh, he's been up there basically camping like a Spartan before uh, up in Alaska, and it's far from uh, a, a five-star lodge, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a five-star adventure. <laughs> Amen. That's what we're after. Uh, Breck, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Guys, uh, Shortly, we'll be back with uh, another episode of Breck in Alaska and listen to these great stories he's got from uh, ADAC. What would you say, Cold Bay, St. Paul? Yep. Uh, uh, ADAC several times, uh, St. Paul a couple, and uh, did uh, Cold Bay once, but I'm going again in this coming December. Um, deal. All right. And, uh, well, thank you so much. And, uh, guys, Don't forget to check out the Facebook page at Public Pursuit Waterfowl, the Instagram page as well, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple, along with uh, a few other uh, podcast distributions. Brett, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Guys, we'll see you next time.